0: We're in John chapter 15, so if you'd find your way there, we're presently going through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings, and it's been, from my opinion, it's been so rich, I've just enjoyed it so much this time through. I don't know how many times I've taught through John's Gospel, I don't know how many times I've read through it, studied it on my own, but um, but John's Gospel was always kind of the Gospel you know, when you lead someone to Christ and and they kind of want to know what's next, usually we would encourage the new believer in Christ to read and to study the Gospel of John. There's so much in the Gospel of John. And so our text begins in verse 1. We're going to look at the first eight verses today. And so I'll go ahead and read those. You can follow along. You'll note that all the letters are in red if you have a red-letter edition. So Jesus is the one speaking through all of this, and he said, I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Note this, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or lifts up, the text, uh, there's a note there. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And here's the exhortation, abide in me and I in you, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. And Lord, as always we pray, Lord, this is your word. You inspired the writers. Uh, You have a a purpose for the things that are recorded. Uh, We as your people, Lord, I. Pray that each one of us are open and willing to apply the text to our own lives, Lord. We thank you for your word. It is truly a light unto our path. It truly is the means of of increased faith. And we pray even this morning, Lord, that our faith would be built up and increased. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanna begin with a verse that's not found in John chapter 15, and it's in Romans chapter 10. You don't have to turn there, it's just one verse, and I'll read it to you. It's, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, guys, there are so many things that we, we make so complicated. I'm convinced, I, you know, people debate things rather than just simply take the word of God, read the word of God, apply the word of God, you know. Simple, simple application of what the word of God says. You say, why did you open with that verse? Well, because for a lot of people, it seems as if they stop at salvation. You know, I'm lost. I need to be saved. Okay, now I'm saved. You know, I've, I've gone forward at the crusade or at the church or I've said the you know, sinner's prayer or whatever it might be. And so what next? And keeping in context with, with our text today, Jesus would say, what's next? Abide in me. Abide in me. In fact, I'm convinced if these were the only instructions we had of Jesus, if this was it, abide in me. This would be sufficient for the Christian. Abide in Christ. Now, when Jesus said, I am the true vine, he was making a point. Guys, it's a little difficult for us because, you know, unless you have a, 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 you know, strong biblical background, maybe even a Jewish background, strong Jewish biblical background, Um, Sometimes I think things kind of fly over our head. We read things and we say, oh, that's, that's interesting. It's interesting that he phrased it that way. But when you understand in the scriptures, of course, the only scriptures that they had at this point in time as Jesus was speaking these things were the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the vine was always a symbol of Israel, not Jesus. The vine in the Old Testament was a symbol of Israel. And Israel was God's vine. Israel was a vine that God planted. Israel was the vine that God lavished and cared for uh, with love and cared for and, and paid attention to. And yet, we read about the vine. I mean, there's a number of places. You can go to Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, a lot of places in the Old Testament, but I'm going to give you just a few examples. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21, it says, Yet I, the I there would be the Lord, yet I had planted you a noble vine. Note the words here, a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into a degenerate plant of an alien vine? The word turn there, it literally means to turn over or to turn about, to change to become perverted. God has a question. I know what I planted. I know I wasn't just casting seeds. I know what I planted. What's happened? You've turned. You've become perverted as a nation. Father wanted fruit from Israel and yet they bore rotten fruit. Here's another example, Isaiah chapter five, verses one and two. My well beloved, that speaks of the Lord has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. (laughs) You could almost picture the, the, the Temple Mount, you know, that fruitful hill. And he dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. Not just any vine, the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected. Does it surprise us when God has expectations? We shouldn't be surprised. He expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes, or literally poisonous berries. So God had expectations for Israel. He wanted them to bear fruit, but they didn't. Why? Because they would not abide. Now, in contrast to the nation of Israel, we have Jesus. Jesus, he says, I am the true vine. Jesus always bore fruit pleasing to the Father. So we have this contrast between the nation and Jesus, God incarnate. So, first one, it says, My Father is a vine dresser. So Jesus kind of paints this picture, and it would have been a picture that they would have all been familiar with. Um, you know, the the vineyard and the worker and, and, and all that goes into that and all the energy and all the effort and then the fruit of it, of course. This is something that they would have been able to picture very easily, very clearly. Father, like any vine dresser, wants fruit. You know, we have a lot of time on our hands, most of us, and so we do things as hobbies, like gardening, gardening, It's a nice hobby. It's fun to work in the dirt and everything. But if your life, dependent upon you reaping a harvest, it's no longer a hobby, it's a task. It's something you give yourself to, you pay great attention to, you know. You're you're dependent upon that field or or garden or whatever it might be producing. Fruit. Fruit, fruit, fruit. Fruit, it's used over 60 times in the New Testament. Fruit, it's mentioned eight times in chapter 15 of John's gospel. It, there's a progression. It goes from fruit to more fruit to much fruit to your fruit. It's important to pay attention to words. Words are important. These things are not just thrown on the page. So the, I like the way that reads, you know. There's a message in the words. I think of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he's baptizing. People are coming out. And uh, Matthew tells us that when the religious leaders came out, he called them a brood of vipers. Remember that? And he told them to do certain things, and he warned them. But Luke, in Luke's gospel account, he tells us that as the people were coming out, he doesn't make a distinction between the people, just the common people, and uh, the religious leaders who obviously... John and Jesus had a problem with because of their hypocrisy. But Luke tells us that as as John the Baptist saw these multitudes of people coming out to him to be baptized, he said to them, quote, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Maybe if John was living today, he might say something like, hey, words are cheap. You can say the right thing but your actions need to back up your words jesus in matthew chapter 3 verse 10 we read therefore every tree jesus of course speaking every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire so we have this these references of fruit what is fruit what is fruit you know as a pastor Sometimes I I wrestle. Sometimes, you know, pastors, ministry, missionaries, whatever, we can kind of put uh, expectations on ourselves. I think we should to a degree. But sometimes we begin to measure things, not in a biblical way, but in a more of a worldly way, you know. Pastors' conferences, sometimes you go to a pastor's conference. So who, who, who attends pastor's conferences? Pastors'. And sometimes, you know, the conversations will be something like, uh, so how many attend your church? Now, see, most people could care less about how many people attend your church. Pastors seem to be all tied up with that type of thing, you know? How many attend your church? What's your annual budget? What's this? What's that? You know, really what they're asking is, how successful are you, pastor? You see, that's how we measure things, don't we, from the world's perspective, And sometimes we can look and say, well, you know, I'm a missionary. There's not much fruit from my work. I think of the early missionaries. You think of men like Hudson Taylor. Was he very fruitful? Oh, yes, he was fruitful. Did many people come to faith in Christ? Oh, no, not initially. Very few. But God measures things differently than man measures things. So fruit, what are we talking about? What's biblical fruit? Well, we have the example that Paul gave in Galatians chapter five. You guys know this. Remember, he talks about the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. A deed is a doing, and and a fruit is something that it just does. It just it just it just comes forth. You just bear fruit. You're not working to bear fruit. It just comes forth. In chapter five of Galatians. Verses 22 and 23, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. And then he adds, and, uh, and against such things there is no law. So, what would you say to us, Paul? Abide in Jesus. He writes in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness. All goodness. Righteousness. Truth. There are far too many professing Christians that do not believe that we should be hung up on the truth of the word. The word seems to take its place on the shelf of many professing Christians. And oh, the word, you know, I remember when we first moved up here to plant the church. You know, church planters, you never know if there's going to be a church there, you know, a year later, 10 years later, you just, you feel called, you step out, you go and you do. And I remember meeting with the pastor of a church here. A friend of mine was attending the church and uh, we went out to lunch and, um, he got a napkin and he began to draw circles on the napkin. I thought it was an Amway meeting. I thought, oh, here we go. But he was saying to me, now this is the elder pastor now speaking to the young green church planter, and I was that for sure. But he said, Dan, you need to understand that you have, and he's doing his circles and he's giving his illustration, and he says, the thing that divides a church more than anything is doctrine. And I just smiled at him. I thought, you're too late. <laughs> I've been, from the day I was born again, thank the Lord that I went to churches where doctrine, the doctrine of the scriptures were holden, held in high regard. It's too late for me. Yes. Doctrine divides. What does it divide? Error from truth. That's what it divides. Anyway. Fruit. Fruit. For the fruit of the Spirit, Ephesians, is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. That's fruit. Finding out what's acceptable to the Lord, doing those things and also having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. We must abide in Jesus. Jesus says in verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. You'll note that there's a little note next to those two words, takes away. It says lifts up. I remember in the past, probably the past being the last time I taught through John's Gospel account, I taught this quite differently than I'm going to today. I taught, and to be honest with you, to my shame, probably because I heard it taught. So I thought, well, that sounds good. You know, the commentator, he seems to believe that this was the case. And I taught it something like this. The branch that does not bear fruit, Jesus says he takes it away or lifts it up, And I would teach it, yes, the father, the vine dresser, he lifts it up. It's a fragile branch. He wants it to bear fruit. So he lifts it up so that there might be airflow underneath it, so it might become closer to the sun and bear the fruit. You say, what's wrong with that? Well, I'll get to how the father cares for us and how he does everything possible so that we might bear fruit, but not here. And the reason I don't teach that here is because the text literally says this, or or the word, the the Greek word that's used here, let me give you the, the definition. It means to take up or away. It means to raise the voice. It means to, listen to this, it means to keep in suspense or uncertainty of the mind. Hmm. He lifts it up to keep in suspense or uncertainty of the mind. I thought, boy, that's, that's interesting. I know this, and I know this not just because I feel it and I think I should say it because it's the right thing or nice thing to say. I know this because of the scriptures, that the Lord does not want his people to live their life with the question hanging over their heads, am I or am I not saved? And yet there's a lot of people that live that way. There's a lot of people who profess to be Christians, profess to be believers, profess to be followers of Jesus, and they have this question that seems to hang over their head. How depressing that would be. Am I or am I not saved? When we read the scriptures, when we study the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures especially, but not just the New Testament scriptures, we see it in the Old Testament as well. When we read in the scriptures, we read of the assurance that the believer should have in the Lord. I mean, Israel could have had assurance, not a question. I wonder if I'm good enough. I wonder if I'm gonna make it to heaven, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I hope, I hope, I hope. In the New Testament, surely, there is this sense of certainty. Again, I opened with Romans chapter 10, verse nine. You will be saved. It doesn't say you might be saved. It says if you believe. If you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. You will be saved. I'm going to come back to that in a moment here. But look at verse two, further down, or actually, yes, it says, "Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes." So here's a part of, of Father's care, the vine dresser's care. Father cares for us. He cares for believers. And I believe he does whatever is needed so that we might bear fruit. Remember, guys, as we read the text, Jesus says, it's to the glory of the Father that we bear fruit. This is not a, you know, kind of a, a non-essential issue. This is very important. This is, this is the reality of, of truly being in Christ Jesus, that we will bear fruit. The word... Prunes can also be, and sometimes is translated, you know, in, in different verses, as cleanse. So prunes or cleanse. I think of uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Remember, we have that beautiful chapter in Ephesians chapter 5. I love that chapter when I do pre-marriage counseling. And I go always take the couple to that chapter. And it's so beautiful because... Paul is doing two things at once, you know. And he is, he's telling us about the relationship that Christ has with his bride, the church. And at the very same time, he's telling us of the relationship that the husband, the earthly husband, uh, is to have with his wife. And at the very same time, he's telling us although the, the Christian wife, uh, what her relationship with her husband is to be like. I mean, he's communicating these things all in one text and in that text, speaking of Jesus it says just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself to her that he might sanctify, to, to, uh, to make holy, to purify, to consecrate, sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Did you catch that? How? how? By the washing of water? of the word, of the word. Remember back in chapter 13, they go into the upper room and Jesus apparently takes off his garment, he girds himself with the towel. he begins to wash the disciples' feet. You guys remember Peter protested. Jesus went on to tell them that they were already clean, you know, they were clean because they had been with him, his word, you know. He's looking forward surely to the cross and what would be accomplished, the work of redemption for them and for those who would believe. And yet, he talks about cleaning, you know. And I think of the importance of the word of God. As we're abiding in Christ, as his word is abiding in us, there's this relationship you know guys especially young people don't think for a moment that you know god is this far removed you know he, he doesn't care about you is not interested. this is why you need to be in the word of god when you read the word of god you see the intimacy that god longs to have with his creation with his people it's so beautiful i mean it really is i i uh, on wednesday night we were looking at psalm 124 And as we're reading through that and before the folks kind of shared, if it had not been the Lord on our side, before they shared, some of the people shared that, you know, and a story in their own life, I had made mention, I I said, you know, for most of us, we have no no problem with believing that God so loved the world. Yes, of course, God loves the world. God is love, you know, he loves the world. We have no problem with thinking that God loves the church, God loves the ecclesia, His called out once. So of course, yes, God loves the church. I have no problem with that. And God loves the people. Yes, yes, of course. God loves people. Of course he does. We see that in the scriptures. God loves me. And that's where many times you know we, we begin to hesitate and we begin to say, well does, does he really love, does he really love me, me as an in individual, just me? Does he love me? Does he care for me? And of course, we have many examples, many references in the scripture that he does love the individual. He cares for the individual. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows, he uh, keeps a a book of remembrance, Malachi tells us, in a bottle of tears. I don't know, you know, I hope we're able to see those things. I hope they're not just symbolic. But God cares for us. He wants us to bear fruit. It's to his glory. He doesn't want us to live in suspense or uncertainty about our salvation. He wants us to have a sense of of certainty. Yes, I'm saved. Based on what? Based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. What's the proof that I'm saved? What's the evidence? I abide in Christ by his grace. His word abides in me by deliberate intention. There's a, you know, you think of the, um, The we live in a community, we live out in Sierra, and in our community, there's a family and they have, uh, they purchased a, a number of lots, apparently, because they have uh, vines, they have vineyard, a little little vineyard out there, and they grow other things out there, and it's just amazing, that's right there, you know, with all that wind coming off of the, <laughs> the water at the sound there, and, and we like to walk by it, we'll walk by it, and sometimes, depending upon the time of year, we'll see them out there, and they're, they're working, and they're cutting off the, the, uh, the dead branches. Why? Well they're they're not good for anything. They they could keep the others from growing. You cut the dead off because there's no life in it. There's no life in it, so you and you cast it off. You take it someplace, you dump it or you or you make a burn, you know, pile. And every year vine dressers prune their vines so that the the branches that are bearing fruit will bear more fruit. So I want you to think about that for a moment. Abide in me and my word abide in you. This is where we we cheat ourselves so often because we're not spending the time abiding in his word. Again, I think we make it so complicated when it's really fairly simple. You know, um, I've said it many times, when Tracy and I were raising our five children, um, you know, five kids could be pretty loud. Some of the parents will say amen to that. You know, you might have two or one, and you say, yeah. You know. And um, for us, kind of our quiet place was an old Malibu station wagon that we had, our family car. And um, we would take turns going out there. And that would be our quiet place. And it was almost comical because, you know, that we had a big window in our living room. And the kids would see either mom or I. We'd never go out there together because we couldn't do that. Um, but um, they'd either see one of us or the other out there. We'd have our Bible. We'd have a coffee cup set on the dashboard of the car. And we'd have our quiet time out there. And sometimes you'd see the kids, you know, on the couch, you know, just against the glass. <laughs> you know, they, they've abandoned us, you know. But, uh, but you, know, it, you know, you you got to do what you got to do. Find a quiet place. Find a place where you open his word and you read it. And rather than questioning everything you read, rather than wrestling over every, everything, you know, I, I don't know about this. I, this teacher said that and that teacher said that. You know, r- rather than doing that, just before you open the word, say, oh, Holy Spirit. Would you please teach me now? Would you please illuminate your word as I read it? Speak to me. Guys, sometimes we're so desperate, it's almost as if, Lord, if you don't speak to me, I don't know if I'm going to survive through the day. Can any of you relate to that? Please speak to me. And isn't he faithful? If we truly just take the time and, and begin to read, and he begins to speak to us, pruning, cleansing. Now, we're cleansed by his blood. But, you know, like like Jesus said in John chapter 13, you know, sometimes our feet need to be washed. Sometimes we get dirty feet because we live in this world. I think of times in my own life, you know, we could become so critical as humans. We could become so critical toward someone, toward others, you know. Maybe the husband, he's, he's He's just, he's at odds with his wife and he's just, you know, gosh, Lord, and maybe it starts out with, Lord, would you please show her that I'm right? (laughs) And she is wrong once again, you know. I don't know. But, you know, you might start out like that. and, And if you're sincerely seeking the Lord and his word, you don't leave that quiet place with the same attitude. In fact, You're no longer thinking about her or him. The Lord had done some pruning while you were meditating upon his word. And he was shining the light in your own heart, in your own life, in your own motives, in your own actions. And many times, I can't can't recount the times where I would say, Lord, it's not them. It's not her, it's not him. It's not those people. It's me, Lord. Oh, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. It's beautiful. There's a vital relationship between the vine dresser and the vine, Jesus. And Jesus is saying there must be a vital relationship between the vine, Jesus, and his branches, his people. Jesus says, abide in me. Fruit bearing is impossible on our own. This is what religion produces. You know, I was raised Roman Catholic, parochial school, the dogmas of the Catholic Church. We were taught that the Roman Catholic Church was the true church. Every Catholic knows that. They were taught that. You might say, well, that's not my story. Maybe you were raised in a Baptist church. It had a reputation at one time, or an Episcopal church, or maybe not an Episcopal church, a Presbyterian church, or a Methodist church. You know, all of these churches used to have um, great reputations. But so many churches, they're like monuments now. Boy, this denomination. Oh, during the Wesleys, these men were anointed by God, you know. Oh, when D.L. Moody was going around preaching, oh, the power of the Holy Spirit would just move as he would preach the word of God. And thousands upon thousands of people were being saved, you know. Let's start a school, and we'll name it Moody. And you could have things, have works, you know. The Lord always begins with the person, usually, you know, in the Bible we'll see he begins with the man. And then the man, many times, you know, if the Lord's blessing, will become a movement. And if the man in the movement, <laughs> because many times the movement outlives the man, if the movement does not remain faithful to the word of God, it is in danger of becoming a monument. You have a reputation. But you are not that any uh, longer. And I think that's what religion does, you know. Religion, do this, don't do that, cut your hair, put the suit on, you know, come to Mass, take communion at seven years of age, and com- be confirmed at 12 or 13, you know. Check off the boxes, check off the boxes, everything. You're good, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. In many Protestant churches, many non denominational churches, there's kind of this thinking, get baptized, get baptized. You guys know that baptism doesn't save anybody. I hope you know that. Baptism doesn't save anybody. If, if that's what saved people, there would be no churches. We would just have giant swimming pools, you know. We'd baptize people by force, you know. You're saved. But of course, they're not saved. It is an identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. It's an outward sign of an inward reality. Salvation comes through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Fruit bearing is impossible without Christ. But fruitfulness is a result of Jesus's life flowing into the life of the believer by his spirit. What's our part? Guys, we always get the easy part. Our part is to abide, to remain, to stay put in him, and the fruit will be inevitable. Do you believe that? Jesus said it. It's true. Think of how beautiful this is. I, You know, we talk about relationship. Jesus says, I want a relationship with you. What kind of relationship? I want you to be so close to me that there is no distinction of separation between me and you. That's what I want. Man, you try that. Man, you know if you're single and you're, you know, thinking of... You know, popping the question to your fiancé or say something like that. I want us to be so close, so inseparable. You know, oh, she'll oh, pass out, you know. <laughs> But, of course, you can't really do what Jesus promises because there is separation. There is a divide. The word abide or remain is a key word in John's writings, and this is why, guys, if we're students of the word of God, we see these things. And you say, well, how is that going to build my faith? I don't know if it builds our faith. It just simply shows us that there's a pattern, that, that, that there was. this was on the heart of John. I think that when John heard Jesus say these words in John chapter 15, that it just left such an impact upon him. Eleven times in John chapter 15, now he's just simply recording the words that Jesus had spoken, 15 times the word abide is is there in John chapter 15, 40 times in John's gospel account. So this is the theme, abide, remain, remain, abide, 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 abide. 27 times in John's epistles, abide, abide. This is a theme that John had as he was writing these things. The purpose of the branch is to abide and to bear fruit. Verse 5, for without me you can do nothing. Do you you believe that? If you don't believe it and you're truly a believer, you'll you'll learn that it's true. You could do nothing without him. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. The word cast or cast out, it means to throw in a more or less violent or intense way. Hmm. And the word out, it means outside of doors. And the word withered means, you know, to shrivel. It speaks of a loss of vitality, vigor, or effectiveness. Now, guys, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying, we are not saved by fruit. We are not saved by fruit, but we are saved to fruit. You could say it this way. We are not saved by works, but we are saved to and for works. Doesn't James make that clear? Yes. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Are, are, are the, are the cast-out branches, are they, are, they, are they believers who end up in the fires of hell because of the lack of fruit? No. I don't believe so. Again, not of works, not of fruit, by grace, through faith in Jesus, are the cast out branches saved? People who live wasted, withered, fruitless lives. Some suggest that, and some would would say, just look at what it says in in First Corinthians chapter three, verses thirteen through fifteen. I'm almost done, so hold with me. Look, Paul wrote this. He says each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he built on it now the it, remember it's the foundation the foundation which is Christ you could see that in the text later he says if uh, that which is built on it endures he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, uh, yet as though through fire. You say, why did you read that? I don't know. Just to simply say, whatever Jesus meant, I don't believe that we lose our salvation because of the lack of fruit. I believe that salvation is based on faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. I I believe that. I believe that we need to do our due diligence, though. I believe it's not, you know, Jesus saved me, you know, that's it. I've kind of stopped there. I don't add anything to my faith. I I, I, I don't do anything. I don't really read his word. I don't really share the gospel with anyone. I'm not doing any of the works, any of the things that the Lord has called me to do. There is a distinction obviously between John chapter 15, the text is speaking of fruit. First Corinthians chapter three, the text is speaking of works. So I think there's a distinction between those two. My point is simply this. I have found, and I've known people, I've, I've known people, family members that have struggled with this The ones who are constantly wrestling with whether they're saved or not seem to always be those who are not abiding in Christ. And his word is not abiding in them. So on one hand, maybe there should be this suspense, uncertainty, because maybe they're not in Christ. Maybe they haven't truly surrendered themselves to the Lord. Maybe. But maybe it's because they're just not simply doing their due diligence. Think of the things that we do. I mean, we, I, I shouldn't speak, I won't speak for myself because this is not true of me. But but some of you, many people, you know, we're very health conscious. I'm 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 not. On a death road, you know, I might look like I am, but but health conscious. So people go to gyms, or they have their own gyms, and and a gym, going to a gym or working out, that takes effort, doesn't it? I mean, be honest. You know, once the endorphins and everything, you know, after a while, you think this is not fun. I used to, when we first moved up here, there was a fellow in the church, and he said, you know, Dan, we got to get out and do some. You know, some sort of activity, you know, and I said, okay, wh- what do you do? And he says, well, I swim. And this is when the pool was open. And he says, so let's meet together and we'll just swim laps for like an hour. And then shower, you go off to work, I'll go off to work. And I said, yeah, okay, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I grew up surfing, swimming has always been a thing for me. But it was at five in the morning. And at five in the morning, man, swimming, putting on a swimsuit, and, and then jumping into cold water, because it's never, it's never like, ah, it's always like, oh, but then you do it, you know, you do it, and it's amazing how, and swimmers know this, I used to play um, a water polo, and I thought, The strangest thing playing water polo, I thought I never knew that you could sweat in water. (laughs) But, um, you know, after the workout, you feel good and you say, Oh, I'm so glad I did that, you know. But, you know, guys, it's kind of like that with the Word of God. Get up, have a pattern, make yourself a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, whatever you prefer, find a place. Do you have a chair, favorite chair or couch or loveseat or old Malibu station wagon in the driveway, you know? Go out and and just with Bible open, quietly, be in relationship with your Lord. Read his word. Lord, I don't know what challenges I have today, but I know that without you, I I don't want to face them. I pray Lord that you'd give me the strength to do whatever might come up today. Lord, there's anxiety. I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety. I'm stressed right now. I, I just pray for your peace, Lord. I know that that's the the fruit of your spirit, the same spirit who dwells within me as your child as a believer in you. Lord, I'm I'm simply going to stand upon what you promised in your word and there's this beautiful ministry of the Lord sometimes I almost imagine him saying oh I'm so glad you stopped by I was thinking about you you know I always look forward to our times together oh if only I found that those who are always wrestling with whether or not they are saved or those who are not abiding in Christ and his word is not abiding in them. Their mind is in a constant state of suspense or uncertainty about their salvation and I don't believe it should be that way. Abide in Jesus. Let his words abide in you. If, if there's the condition, if we abide in Jesus, we will bear fruit it just, it's just going to flow from our lives. It's fruit that's pleasing to the Lord. You know, guys, we're not, we're not good judges of the fruit that flows from our own lives. And the Lord never told us to judge the fruit that flows from our own lives. He just simply told us to abide in him. If we abide in Jesus, we'll have full confidence and assurance of our salvation. We shouldn't have to question You know, guys, Mario, come on up. You guys come up. You know, we're human, so we mess up a lot. We sin. We do things. Now, hopefully, you know, the, the pattern, you know, this habitual type of stuff, it needs to be broken. I mean, as a believer, we're not habitually just doing the same thing over and over again. But we struggle with things. We had a fellow ministering here a number of years ago, and... He came in and he said, "Um, I messed up. And I said, what happened? And he told me what he had done. And uh, I looked at him and I said, so what are you going to do about it? And he couldn't say anything. He didn't say anything. He was waiting for me to do something about it. And what he expected me to do about it was to say, well, you just can't minister anymore because you goofed up. He says, what do you mean? What am I going to do about it? I said, have you taken it to the Lord? Have you confessed it to him? I mean, he already knows it. Have you repented of it? Yes. Then move forward. See, so often we get bogged down. It's like we dig a pit and then we lay down in it and and wonder why our lives are so miserable. And, and, And it's because we're not standing upon what the word of God says. We're not just progressing. We're not moving forward. The Lord doesn't want us to live in a sense of doubt. And the byproduct, of course, I could do a whole study on this, but the byproduct of abiding in Christ and his words abiding in you is that you will ask what you will, and it will be given to you. Listen, it's not magic. This is the thing. The abiding believer who has the word of God abiding in him or her will ask things according to His will. If we ask anything according to his will, we're told, in John's gospel by Jesus, in John's epistle, first epistle by John, if we ask anything according to his will, we have it. It's not a magic formula. Because the abiding Christian is not going to ask selfishly. The abiding Christian is not going to ask carnally, fleshly, Give me, give me, give me. The abiding Christian is seeking first the kingdom of God. And all these things, you know, all the necessities, all the things, shall be given to him, to her. So, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, do so. I mean, you're here for a reason. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, do so. Believe in him. It's not religion. It's not going to church, showing up here every now and again. It's not being dunked in the pool or in the, you know, the sound water out here. It's not just that. All of those things are important. But it's daily walking with him. It's daily seeking him. It's bearing fruit. As you bear fruit, the Lord's going to open doors for you. You might find that the people you work with say, what makes you tick? Why, are you, why, why, why do you have that smile on your face, you know? What are you so happy about? Ever been around people like that? And you're able to share the gospel, to share the reason for the hope you have. So let's stand together, please.